I feel so, so blessed to be here with New Community this morning. Um, it's always a pleasure to be uh, able to uh, come and visit the uh, people of God wherever they are gathered. And so the chance to be here in Chicago with you all is amazing. Of course, I wish I could see your faces here in the room. Uh, I'd be lying if I said otherwise, but I am so glad. I am so thankful for technology that um, we can do what is safe and what is cautious and what um, is good for even the most vulnerable among us. And so very grateful to be here even virtually today. I want to preach today out of Acts 16, and for some of you who were with us yesterday, you know I mentioned that um, that we would be in that text um, and that we would be um, talking about the Philippians. Uh, we were in Philippians a little bit yesterday, but this is sort of the origin story. This is sort of the passage where Paul is first arriving in Philippi with the gospel, and so um, I'm very excited to kind of share this passage with you this morning. I'm going to read from Acts 16, starting at verse 13. I'm in the NRSV this morning, um, and I'll be going up to verse 23. So Acts 16, verse 13 through 23. So here he is. He's arrived in Philippi, and I'll start at verse 13. On the Sabbath day, he went outside the gate by the river where he was, where he, we, where he supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been given, had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into the prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. 
Um, I'm just going to say a brief word of prayer before I go into the text. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that you have kept it all these many years, centuries, millennia for us. And so, God, I ask that your spirit would open our eyes and allow our ears to hear the truth that is in these words, God, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would make us more like Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, So I, as you heard, I have two daughters, two teenagers, 16 and 17. And um, even though they're teens and, you know, that can be complicated at times, they're growing up and I got to let them go um, a bit as they're preparing for college and high school graduation. Um, One thing has remained consistent over the many years. They love seeing their baby pictures. Um, they just, they do. And it's funny as grown as they are and, uh, try to remind me that they are, um, they love going through those pictures. And I think about it, um, not just the baby pictures, but even as they were growing up and they want to hear the stories, they want to know where were those moments when we saw something unique about them, when their personality was coming out, when their gifts were starting to, uh, show up, when we started noticing what was unique and special about them, the things that we treasured, the things that made us laugh and, um, and made those moments special. And so, um, um, I, I love doing it too. I, I'm not going to lie. You know, uh, I'm biased. I think all their stories are amazing. I think, uh, they're incredible. Uh, and you know, Hey, that's my job, right? I'm their mom. So I love being able to do that. And it's fun to see their faces because it's like, they're looking for those clues of who they are now and how they got to this place. Um, could we point to something like that? And they even ask like my in-laws about my husband, they'll be like, Oh, you know, when when did you know this? You know, did you see this about dad? And I remember once they even joked, they said, you know, he's a musician and he started as uh, primarily as a drummer. Um, and, uh, and they said, oh yeah, you know, he used to bang on the pots and pans and, and, uh, and you know, my husband said, well, did you take any pictures of that? And they said, we didn't know that was significant at the time. We didn't know you would become a drummer. Uh, we're always looking for those clues about ourselves, right? Those insights. We love to think about where we came from and And how we started to discern who we are, who God made us. That in fact, there was no one like us before we came. Um, And so I think that that same kind of mentality applies to, to the book of Acts, actually. Because it's like our origin story of the church. It's not just one individual, but it's like, how did we get here 2,000 years later? Here we are in Chicago gathering, and yet this story started so long ago. And were there hints back then that point to where we are now, that give us strength for this journey, that remind us that we came here not just by chance, that you're not gathered here um, by just happenstance, that God actually has had a purpose all these years, and that you can look back 
and see God's story and trace it to even 2022, even in all this craziness that we're living through. And so we see in Acts that the that Christianity began as a movement. It wasn't just an institution. And Jesus is building his church. Even though he has ascended, he is launching this movement and guiding it and shaping it. Um, and this is our origin story. This is when we look back and say, that was, that was where we began. That's when we saw something unique and new in the world was happening. And so we appreciate Acts as, as this history, but it's our history. It's this unfolding story. And let me tell you, it's easy to think that this is an ancient story, that this is so far long ago, that their lives were so different than ours. But the reality is there was so much that is the same. Rome was complex. There was a lot of things that were happening in that world that actually is very similar to the world we're living in now. There were issues politically. All these people were clamoring for power. Different parties were trying to get into places of influence and decision-making. There were economic disparities, just like we see now in so many ways. We see the equivalents. We see people who are struggling to make ends meet and others who have wealth and influence and power. Um, We see religiously and socially, it's incredibly diverse. Many cultures coming together and trying to carve out a way to live, even in the midst of, a, of an empire that's trying to lead everyone in the same way, to live the same kind of life, to have the same goals as the empire. And so even though the names of some of these groups and the factions have changed, even though the culture is a bit different, these dynamics of power and privilege and um, and even uh, empire are kind of universal. And they we see them repeat themselves over over history. And so even though this is an old text and an, an old place and so much of their life would seem foreign to us, some of these elements are very much the same. And so I want to encourage you to, to look at Acts and ask those questions um, as you read and as you go through. And I do want to say, I recently read a commentary by Willie James Jennings on the book of Acts. If you are someone that reads commentaries and wants to dig deeper in your own personal so I highly recommend that commentary. It's fantastic. But he shows over and over in his commentary how um, over and over in Acts, Peter, Paul, and the other leaders of the church are constantly clashing with the powers around them. They're constantly um, subverting and undermining the goals of the empire, all these political factions. They're disrupting the social order, uh, not just for the sake of being difficult, but for the sake of the gospel. The gospel compelled them to go there. And so while there's so many chapters that I could point to to show that, and um, I I felt drawn to this one because um, Jennings... uh, pauses here in this chapter and most of the time commentaries go right to Paul's arrest, right? His arrest, their time in jail, the miraculous things that happen and the kind of chain of events that get set off from there. But Jennings challenges us to pause on these two women. He challenges us to pause on Lydia and this enslaved girl. And he calls it a tale of two women here in chapter 16. And that fact is that God is disrupting again the social order here in Philippi. And he's breaking through barriers to build community 
in the name of Jesus in Philippi. He is breaking through barriers and he is bringing people together. God is bringing people, even in spite of Paul, it seems, bringing people together to build community in Philippi. And so when we look at these women and we look at Paul in this context, I want you to think even as as I'm describing this, as I'm walking us through this passage, where do you see those barriers? What barriers surprise you that are here in this text? And What barriers would hold you back from reaching out with the gospel? Where are those places that you would hesitate to cross that line? Um, What barrier seems impossible today? I mean, because we all have those, those lines where we say, you know, yes, God, I believe, but that seems... That's a bit far. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It's a waste of time to try that. It's a waste of time with that. It's never going to happen. And yet God is showing us in this passage that even the impossible, the social, the economic lines, the racial lines, the, the lines of politics, he can cross them. He can cross them and transform anybody. And so where do you see yourself in this passage as we go through? And where is the spirit of God challenging us to respond differently in light of the gospel? So we see Paul arriving in Philippi, right? He's been traveling from place to place. um, And now he's going beyond Judea and Samaria, right? And into the wider Roman world. And that means that we're going to see less and less um, people who are familiar with Judaism, who are familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. But in this passage, we do see that there are some people that are familiar. He doesn't go to a synagogue, which is his normal pattern. And so it's likely there was no synagogue there. Instead, he goes to this riverside where there's a prayer meeting. And it's likely that this meeting where people who were familiar with the Jewish scriptures, that they were familiar with this God, but um, they may not have made that step of conversion. They may not have actually fully converted and established a community of belief there in Philippi. So that's why there was probably no synagogue. They hadn't gotten that far. They were observant, but they weren't really fully converted. And so it's important that you, you know, you remember that, that this is kind of that, you know, this is like an in-between space that they're in. But he knows that they'd have some idea of the promised Messiah because they had some familiarity. And so he's going to start there. He's going to start with people who have some idea of who Jesus might be, that this Messiah was coming and they, and that he can explore the scriptures with them. And so it's also important to remember that Philippi is a privileged colony in Rome. They have a fair amount of wealth there. They enjoy tax benefits. They actually enjoy a good status in the empire. This is really, really important to remember because even beyond, they're getting getting some benefits even beyond what other Roman citizens got. Philippi was doing pretty well and being a Roman citizen really was working for them. You know, they were in that position where it was good to be a Roman citizen and they were reaping all the benefits and then some, and then some. And so it's important to remember that too, that this is, this is that kind of place. Um, they have something good going and they're not really looking to shake that up. They're looking to maintain. Okay. And so the gospel is spreading further and further into places of the Roman empire that are places of influence. That are places where um, the gospel is going to be noticed. Um, And fewer and fewer people that are influenced by Judaism. And so we're getting further out. Um, 
And so Luke here records two encounters here in Philippi. And they are two dramatically different women. And most of us will probably find ourselves somewhere in between. But I really think that Luke highlights these two stories of these two women because it shows just how many barriers, just how extreme God is willing to take this gospel, just how far economically, socially, politically, uh, religiously that God is willing to go with this gospel. Um, and so we know that Lydia is a businesswoman. She is a, someone who deals in purple cloth. That is something that is very, very um, a niche item, very expensive. Only the wealthiest of the wealthy are going to have purple cloth. And so this is a an industry that actually this region is known for. Um, this was a common, uh, this was the place where purple cloth was being made. And it's one, like I said, it's associated with wealth and status. Um, not just anyone could have purple cloth. It's like having a Tesla or something, you know, like you gotta be somebody to have that. You gotta be a person of means, right? And so nowadays it's like also saying she's like a banker or a CEO. She's not only wealthy, but her clients are going to be wealthy. The people she associates with are going to be wealthy people. Um, and she's an influential person because of that. You know, she's someone who's in the community. She, it says she manages a household. She has power and influence and independence and the freedom that comes with that kind of money, frankly. And so on the other end of the spectrum, we have this enslaved girl. And I want to know, just make sure I know, I know new community knows this, but that chattel slavery in the U.S., is very different than the slavery that we see here in the text in Rome. Um, slavery is still very much a part of the culture, though, in Rome, but it is, it is significantly different from what we saw in the United States. But she is still completely at the other end of the spectrum here. She really couldn't be any more different than Lydia. Actually, if by any measure, economically, socially, etc., religiously, everything, she is as far from Lydia as you can get. And she's so low in the social order here, she doesn't even get named. We don't even ever know her name. That's how insignificant she was in Philippi. And so I want to just go through some of the differences between them, just so you can get a fuller sense of that picture. You know, Lydia's wealthy, she has assets, while this girl is property. She is an asset to somebody. Lydia's using her money for the kingdom at this point as she kind of follows Paul. She's using her resources and sharing them. But this enslaved girl creates resources for others, but she never gets to do anything with it. It is not for her. She has no agency over the money she generates. Lydia has full autonomy. She can make decisions for herself. She can uh, set her priorities. This enslaved girl has no autonomy. Not only because of her uh, enslavement, but also because of her spiritual condition. She has no autonomy. Lydia is named. We know who she is. When you say that name, people in Philippi would have known that name. This enslaved girl has no name. And I'm sure her name didn't matter to most people in Philippi. Lydia's heart is able to be open to the Lord, allowing her to receive the gospel by the Holy Spirit. But this girl is controlled by a demonic spirit. 
she's unable to respond to the gospel appropriately. Instead, she kind of cries out, but it's not even under her own agency. She is being controlled by this spirit. And so there's so many differences between these two women. And uh, Paul does free the enslaved girl, ultimately. But it does seem reluctant, doesn't it? It seems that he is only going to do it out of complete annoyance. After several days of being annoyed, um, he waits for days as she cries out, following him, crying out, crying out because of that spirit of divination within her. And in this account, Luke doesn't really make clear if it's just, you know, what it is that's actually annoying. If it's just the noise, if it's, and why he hesitated for so many days to free her. Why did it take him several days of this to decide to call out that spirit and liberate her? Um, Now... We have to remember, Paul is not Jesus. You know, obviously he's a huge figure in the church and the start of the church, but he's not without sin. And so it's important to remember that he's human. And so maybe there's just a very human uh, response there that's, that's part of this. You know, maybe it was easier to just try to ignore her because he was trying to get certain things done. He had a way he did things. And so he was like, she is not part of my plan right now. And so, you know, he's human, right? And he knew it would probably stir up trouble. I mean, this is not his first rodeo. We're in chapter 16. Things have happened to Paul and around Paul. And so he probably knew if I do this, it's going to stir up a whole other chain of events I don't want to be a part of. He probably thought it's not worth it at this time. And honestly, maybe he just got caught up in his strategy for building God's community here in Philippi. You remember, he had this pattern. And um, he might see the advantage of someone like Lydia, and he might not have seen this enslaved girl as worthy of the risk. Here's the thing. You know, we have a tendency as humans, right? We want to curate these spaces that we're in. You know, we often seek out money because money gives us choices, right? We want to choose the right kind of neighborhood that we want to live in, that we would be most comfortable in. We want to be in a place that's clean and safe, right? We want to choose a place where our kids can go to a good school, right? We want to um, be in a place with the kinds of stores we want and the kind of neighbors we're hoping for. We want to work in organizations with people like us that we that we think have the same vision and um, those things are fine I'm not saying they're bad things I, I mean certainly it depends on a lot of factors whether that's going to be a problem or or fine but you know Philippi was a bougie place you know they had money they had prominence they were in the Roman they had made it by every measure you know they had it but the thing is the church is one environment you cannot control. It is one environment you cannot control. We don't get to curate this space and pick just the right people to sit in our seats. We can have vision. I'm not saying vision is bad. We can have vision. And in fact, it's good to have vision and say, this is, this is the call of God. But once we open the church doors, we don't get to say who walks in. We don't get to control who sits in the pews and who decides to stay and who decides to go. We don't get to dictate that. God is in control of that. And are we willing to be together with whoever God sends our way, with whoever God brings in the door, for whoever God's kingdom is calling in? 
Because just like this enslaved girl, God might send someone annoying. And I want to take a second here. Let me grab this. I, I got to move. I, I'm, a, I'm a mover. So, oh, let me do this. Let's, there we go. Okay. I got to move a little bit. At least one part of the sermon. So, um, I want to shout out the annoying people. Shout out to the annoying people. <laughs> Because I am one, okay? When I came to Jesus, and, and uh, I can't get into the whole story here. There's just not, not enough time today. But uh, you can find my story. It's, it's, uh, it's certainly out there on my social media and everything. But long and short of it is I came from a very dysfunctional household, a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, um, and a house of, without belief. We were atheists, and so there was nothing to kind of ground me in that space. There was nothing to uh, give me hope or even to guide me, to give me wisdom and discernment on how to be in that space. And I was young, of course. I was a kid. Um, but I will say this. When I came into the kingdom of God, I was annoying. I was annoying. So shout out to all of you who know what I'm talking about. I was just a little much, you know? Like, I was a little extra in everything, you know? I was, I was wounded, so I, I mean, I would be very emotional I was always a little too loud, a little too happy about being a Christian. I was, I was just, you know, I would sing a little too loud. I didn't really know like all the songs yet, but I, I was full in, you know? Um, and, uh, let me tell you, um, people who are leaders, you know, they didn't always love that I was there. You know, it was like, they loved the drama of my testimony, but they didn't always love me. You know, the drama of me. I was a bit much. I was a little extra. And, you know, they'd be like, yeah, share your testimony. But then there were times where I felt really alone. And thank God, God sent a few people who were patient, who were kind, who would just sit and listen, whether I was in the tears or whether I was joking around and being loud and being glad that I was in the family of God. Um, they walked with me. Um, they didn't try to fix me or, or, you know, if they thought I was a little much, they didn't say so. <laughs> so uh, I was that person, you know, I'd be in the worship. I'd be the one like sobbing or crazy singing, you know? And let me tell you all those little annoying things God used. You know, the fact that I'm a little loud works in the pulpit, you know, <laughs> it works in my favor. The fact that, you know, I'm a little much is, it's okay when I'm greeting people in the lobby for a few minutes. Cause I have the energy to go for ages greeting people. I, you know, all those things that were a little much, even my tears, there were no wasted tears because I could sit and sit with folks who are really struggling and who are really alone. And so none of that was wasted. And so I, again, shout out to the annoying people. <laughs> I am your patron saint. Uh, so, um, but I want to say that to say this, um, these are the people that God sends, right? These are the people who, you know, sometimes they come in and they've got problems upon problems and you start dealing with one issue and another problem comes up. They make our lives complicated. They don't make our lives in church just simple. And so we see that 
This is something even Paul can't control. This is something that Paul, at finally he hits his point and he said, all right, enough's enough. I don't care what this, what this stirs up. I've got to, to make this stop. I got to free this young woman. And, um, and he ends up bringing together in Philippi, these two women, right? That couldn't be more different. And what an example of, um, of what God is doing. You know, what is God doing? Um, it's a really powerful moment. And so we see someone like Lydia and we see someone like this enslaved girl. And, uh, and I wonder if we have the patience for someone like the enslaved girl, are we willing to deal with the annoying people? Are we willing to see past just the easy testimony and consider how powerful the gospel might be through their lives? Maybe they're an acorn right now. But can we see that someday there'll be a sapling and someday there'll be a mighty oak? Because if we can see that, then we might hang on to that hope long enough to ride with them, to stay with them in this season, to help them grow, to give them opportunities to grow in Christ. It's easy to see someone like Lydia right? Who the world already sees her potential. They see her influence. It's obvious that she can be a powerful force for good if she uh, is on board with the mission of the gospel. It's advantageous to have someone like her in your congregation as your friend. Um, But can we see that same kingdom potential in someone like this unnamed enslaved girl? Are we a community that can hold together these two kinds of people and everyone that falls in between? A community that crosses these boundaries for the Lydia's and for the enslaved girls. And bring them together to be in the same community, not just generally in the kingdom, but together in one body. And let's see, you know, when they, it it was one thing to bring Lydia in, but bringing in the enslaved girl stirred some things up and bringing these two types of people together was going to get the attention. It created a testimony, but it also created a problem. (laughs) It was shaking up paradigms. And that's the accusation that they make. They said, this is not our culture. These are not the ways we do things here in Philippi. That's the accusation that they are subverting a way of life that has worked for Philippi. It is a way of life that is serving the majority here. And by reaching out to this enslaved girl, they are shaking all of that up. And it's going to come at a cost to Paul. Confronting this kind of thing politically, socially, religiously, economically. There's a lot of layers to the fact that these two women have come together. And so he's going to pay a heavy price for bringing the gospel to Philippi. And to allow God to use him even maybe against his own better judgment, uh, to bring these women together into one community. This is a dangerous thing to the people and the powers that are at Philippi, to the empire, to the religious powers, to all of it, to their economics, everything. And so the Romans live in a polarizing time, and you can see this unfolding. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, I know we don't know anything about living in divided times, right? We know nothing. I know Chicago has no problems, right? There's no divisions here like we have in New York, right? 
Um, but use your imagination, right? <laughs> they faced all those divisions that and things that divided them, and the gospel in just these, just with these two stories, we see it crossing every one of those barriers. And Paul pays that high price, and we don't even know actually if this enslaved girl chooses Jesus after this. Luke leaves that a mystery. We actually don't get confirmation. We know she's free. We know she's liberated. And that's the one thing we know, that Paul gives her agency again to make a choice, to choose Jesus or to choose another way. But Luke leaves us with that mystery. He's freed her to make that choice, but whether she follows Jesus, we don't know. What we do know, she's not making those mindless statements of faith now. She isn't just subject to a spirit that keeps her from responding in a meaningful way. So she is free. And so regardless of what she, and you know, my hope is that when he writes the letter later to the Philippians, that she's one of those people in the congregation hearing that letter be read. But we do know that regardless of what she did, she was, we're confronted with this reality that our discipleship, and this is where I want to bring it back to this together piece, our discipleship is really bound deeply up in one another. That we really need our disciple, our discipleship needs to be connected to other people that actually, you know, my discipleship is bound up in yours and your discipleship is bound up in me too. That is the, the idea. Lydia can't uh, grow to her complete fullness without someone like this enslaved girl, even the testimony of this enslaved girl. We need these kinds of, um, uh, we need every kind of person in our congregation. We need to know that we're connected to each other, that our formation is dependent on the community. That it's not just me and Jesus, but the fact is that we need that community. We need to be together to really become like Jesus, to really catch those blind spots that we all have, to really see the fullness of the kingdom of God testified to from our community, for us to really shine our light in the darkness. This is the kind of community that God has been building from the beginning. And we see it here as even in the foundations of the church movement. He is building this kind of community. We see it over and over in Acts, these unlikely likely pairs of people that God is putting together. Like these two women, I think of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Two completely, people from completely different backgrounds who would never find themselves in dialogue with each other. Even Peter and Paul, two leaders in the church um, that are, you know, arguably the most important leaders in the early church. They couldn't be more different from each other. They couldn't be more, um, they're same as these two women, really. Like their economic background, their education, their politics, their, um, all of that is vastly different. But their ability to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ is wrapped up in their relationships to each other. Their discipleship is connected, not separate. They need each other to grow. They need to be together. They need to collaborate. They need to bump up in conflict. They need that to be able to really do the work of the kingdom of God. And so I want to ask you today, this challenge remains in 2022. 
Where are those boundaries that you struggle to cross, to be together? And are you willing to respond in a new way to those boundaries? Are you willing to step beyond some of those boundaries, even the ones that you know in theory God is more powerful than, but you hesitate, that you say, I'm, I'm going to wait a few days and see if this just doesn't, this problem just doesn't go away like Paul. I want to ask you to think about which of these people actually you identify most with in this story. Are you like Lydia? Are you kind of religious and you do and say some of the right things, but rather than step further in, you're just kind of content where you are, staying in your place, just like she was before Paul came through. She was content, but she wasn't ready to fully convert. And maybe God is calling you deeper into a commitment to the gospel, deeper into a commitment of discipleship. And he's asking you, to refocus some parts of your life so that you can be a part of this legacy that carries into eternity, this gospel legacy. Or maybe you have the resources like someone like Lydia. Maybe you're a person of influence. Maybe you're a person of means and you're surrounded by great need in this time. More than that, I mean, it's always existed in our lifetime. There's always been places of need, but more so even now in this pandemic. There are so many who are isolated, so many who don't have what they need, so many who can't find a job, who can't uh, get enough hours at their job. And so the reality is there are so many needs. And maybe God is asking you, like Lydia, to share your resources, to be generous. She opened her home. She opened her um, her uh, bank account, and she became generous because compelled by the gospel. And so maybe you're an employer, a boss like Lydia, and you're, you're someone who manages people. And you can show something to the people in your workplace about the beauty of the gospel, about the dignity of all people, about uh, being fair and just, and the way you use your power. Now maybe you're like Paul. God has given you the power and the voice And the authority to release people from oppression. To speak a word. To act in a way that liberates others. And maybe you've been hesitant to step into that place. And the Holy Spirit is prompting you. And you're saying, no, 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 I'll wait a few days. Maybe someone else will deal with this. I'll wait uh, wait a few days. I hear the crying, but... Um, you know, maybe it'll wrap itself up. I hear the voices, but, and I see the need, but I've got this other strategy going. Oh, and God is, is calling you out and saying, it's time to use your voice. It's time to use your authority. It's time. There's not going to be a better time. And yes, it may cost you and God will be in that too. God will be in that too. And God will use that um, for his good as well. Maybe you're like Paul and you're meant to equip others for this work. For the work of the gospel. And it's time to step into that. And maybe you are this enslaved girl. Maybe you feel like life is just something that's happening to you while you're just trying to make it day to day. 
and you're just trying to fulfill your obligations and make it to the next morning. Maybe you feel weighed down and heavy. Maybe you're trapped in a circumstance. Maybe it's a bad relationship, a bad job, a bad uh, living environment. And the pandemic and being uh, sheltering at home is just compounding what you're under. And I hope you realize this morning that the gospel is a chance to be free. That the gospel offers you a level of freedom and the power to be free that you have not had before. And I'm saying this as someone who has experienced that power, who has seen it at work, who has been trapped in some of those awful places. And I want you to know the gospel can set you free. And that you are made in God's image. Even when people would rather turn away from you. Even when people would rather not hear your cries. God sees you. God sees you as valuable and precious. That you are a work of, uh, of beauty and power. And you are worthy. And the work that Jesus did on the cross can break you those chains of oppression and offer you the power to live differently, to make new choices, to live in a different way with love and renewed purpose. And he can redeem all the ugly things. Maybe you're a mix of any of these three people and that's okay too by the way embolden them now to to step fully into their authority and to be able to challenge the systems that exist in this world to challenge the powers that are here to oppress that they would even if they're reluctant to that they would stop hesitating But instead, by your spirit, act decisively and be empowered and emboldened to no longer hesitate, but to go forth into their call, to embrace all that might come with that, Lord. Because you are looking to break through barriers. You are looking to break down the walls of division, Lord, and you want to use the Pauls at New Community. You want to use the Pauls that are here. You're not looking for just anyone, anywhere. It's not going to be someone else. It's going to be these folks, Lord. Give them the encouragement and the power and the decisiveness to move by your spirit. And Lord, I want to call out those who are enslaved, God, those who feel that they are under a power. Those who are under a power, Lord, today. I want to proclaim freedom to the captives, Lord. I want to proclaim sight to those who are blind, Lord. I want to say that this is the day of your favor, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you free those who are in bondage, Lord. Those who cannot even dream of something better, Lord. That you would give them dreams and visions of something more than where they are today, that you would give them hope in the, in a freedom that comes from the gospel, that they would choose today to follow you, Jesus, and that they would choose, um, 
That they would choose you, even though they have so many reasons to fear and to doubt. That they would still choose you, Lord, and that you would set them free and set them on a path of something better. I pray for those um, who might have been ignored. Their cries have not been heard, Lord. Who they might have been a little much, a little extra. Lord, may we turn our eyes to them. May we hear their cries. May we respond, Lord. Because your gospel compels us. Your gospel compels us to the Lydia's and to those that are enslaved, God. May we be challenged this morning to not just know theoretically what your kingdom is calling us to. To know that the boundaries should be broken. But God, I pray that you would move us to action, God to live out this gospel even when it comes at a cost lord i thank you lord for this body of believers who are testifying to your goodness and the truth of your kingdom in this place god and i pray that your spirit would be with them that you would encourage them as they work to be together in this year god as they work to explore even in the most ironic circumstances what it means to be together lord bless them and keep them and strengthen them for the work ahead lord it's in jesus name we pray amen